Yep. <laughs> and we are live with our 81st episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter. Joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. I didn't screw it up. <laughs> hey guys, uh, welcome once again to Absolute AppSec. Uh, Ken and I are excited to be here uh, to have Matthias joining us today um, and to talk secure code review or secure code training and training in general, gamification, all the things. Um, We've only got a couple of announcements up front. Uh, I'm going to be at AppSec California this week. So if you're out there, please come up and say hi. I'm just there for the conference itself. Um, but we'll be running, uh, you know, we'll see Leaf. There's a whole bunch of guys that have been on the show that will be at AppSec California. They're big supporters. Uh, and I will have T-shirts with me and stickers. So please come up and say hi because uh, I don't want to take them home. I'd rather bring them and give them away. Um, other than that, uh, I will be at B-Side San Francisco in about a month. Um, Ken, I'm not sure what you've got on your docket. If you've got any travel scheduled. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Just the way I like it. <laughs> I was going to mention that next week, uh, Kelly Robinson, she'll be joining us. So I'm really excited for, I mean, we're definitely excited for that discussion and, uh, for having her as a guest. And that's about it. Um, oh, yeah. And then for when people come up to you at AppSec Cali, you've got like, you're going to have like some stuff with you, some swag, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. I'll have, I'll have stickers and T-shirts and I think I still have some buttons and stuff too. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Come up and say hi. So, let's see. Um, did you have anything that you wanted to cover from a you know general news perspective, Ken? No, nothing super interesting or revelatory. What about you? Uh, the one thing that popped up that multiple people have pinged me with over the last couple of days has been that Microsoft Application Inspector. Um, and we'll, we'll post the link up. Uh, seems like an, a pretty interesting static analysis tool that's doing not necessarily like security-specific application inspection, but uh, it's non-judgmental application inspection, right? So it's basically, hey, this is what your application is doing. It looks like it's calling a URL. It looks like it has these features that it's imported. It does X, Y, and Z. Uh, you know, this is where it's hosted, that kind of stuff. If you, it, it could be a fairly interesting tool from just a capability perspective on what your applications are doing and almost like an inventory of the application itself and the features that it provides, that kind of thing. Um, well, you can't have false positive findings if you don't have findings. Yeah, yeah. Non I mean, non-judgmental. Which, by the way, Mat Matthias, uh, who's joining us, has plenty of uh, background with that. I mean, he worked at Fortify and and did a lot with building a static analysis tool. So that's curious what what you think of that. Yeah. Although you yeah, probably well, just heard about it, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> it's the meat of the conversation, right? <laughs> um, yeah. No, so 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 it, it's always good to to have non-judgmental comments on your application, and in fact, we we are working on something very similar too. Um, so it's good to hear. So is it is it in the source code itself, or or like is it in the Visual Studio um, IDE? No, it it's it's source code itself. Um, here, Ken, did you post up that link? I did. Uh, yeah, I post. I posted okay. it. Yeah, yeah it, it actually the, it it supports multiple languages. Uh, I mean, it's not just .NET and um, you know Node or whatever is supported in Visual Studio, but the PHP and Python. Um, it really looks like it's doing kind of more at higher level, not necessarily like the AST, the abstract abstract syntax tree analysis, it's doing other things outside of that. Um, oh, interesting. So it, it breaks down in like network communications, file operations, threading, You're like that's pretty interesting. Yeah, huh. yeah. So I mean, from a, like, I, I can see how it's applied in it from a, I, obviously from a security perspective, this is useful, just knowing what the application is doing. And when we start talking secure code review, Ken, this is one that may be pretty interesting from like just a, a pure application, you know, info gathering perspective 
to get an idea of what the application does, throw it at something like this rather than digging into too much source, right? All right. Sorry, I lost you guys for a second. Not sure what happened. No worries. <clears throat> yeah, but um, I mean, the languages, it doesn't show on that one. On the GitHub page, though, it does talk through the different supported languages. So there's a lot more that's there. Okay. Nice. Um, yeah. JavaScript. I mean, until... like even, even, even things like R, right? Like are in that list, um, which is interesting in a lot of like XML and other like build XMLs and things like that. So, I, yeah, it'll be interesting to see to run it against code bases to see what actually kicks out. I know uh, Eric Heitzman, who we had on the on the show, was texting me about it. And he said that there were he did say there were some like false. It, they weren't necessarily false positives, but it's not like completely dialed in yet, given that it's kind of a beta ish tool. Right. But you can see the the usefulness. <clears throat> Yeah. I think it's funny that I work for Microsoft and you know more about what Microsoft is doing at this point than I do. Cause up until 10 ah. minutes ago, I had no idea about this. <laughs> I'm more tied into it. Yeah. No, I doubt that. I'm sorry. Did I interrupt someone? I think I, I might've. Matthias, what were you going to say? No, so, so no, um, I definitely have a look at, at, at the, that particular tool. It, it looks interesting. Um, it definitely looks interesting. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to bring that up. Um, outside of that, like I haven't, I don't know, I haven't been following a lot on Twitter lately. So, me either. <laughs> well, you know, we do have. I do want to mention that since we're on the note of Microsofty things, we've got this uh, GitHub Lab Code QL bit here, which is pretty interesting. Like, um, so I'm just going to put that out in case nobody's seen it before because we've. Uh, have Semmel, the Semmel team now is uh, with GitHub. Yeah. And let me put it here. And so we've got this lab where you can play around with basically doing code level queries. Um, so anyways, I, I put the uh, the link there. So there's a little bit more uh, going on on our end with static analysis as well too. But um, yeah, it's interesting stuff. A lot of evolution. I think it's interesting too because Matthias had asked about whether or not it um, was integrated integrated into the IDE. And I think that's a fascinating way to always do it. Like, I think it's a really cool, a really cool idea is that, you know, whenever you can flag things as people are developing, that's always like, yeah, pretty close to the source. Is it perfect? No. And honestly, if it's too noisy, it causes developer fatigue. So like, I think we all know there's some problems with that, but it's an interesting, like, you know, as close to the um, tackling in the development processes as possible. Yeah. So one thing we, we, we played around with, um, similar to that Microsoft one, is, um, for example, if you if you take mobile applications, what we have done is, if you use, for example, the OKHTTP library, it tells you, hey, you know what you're doing here is you're using an unsecured connection. Doesn't mean it's good or bad. It just get bad. It just gives you that information. It just tells you, you know what, you're using an unsecured connection, and that may be good. But if it's not good, and and you really have to have a secure connection, this is the way you can move that to a secure connection. Um, so we were taking it a little bit closer to the developer. Um, it's not a report. It's in the IDE, uh, but it gives you it gives like some feedback to the developer, like, hey, did you know that? And then we give an explanation about what he's really doing. Um, mm -hmm. It's totally up to him to say, "Oh, that that's interesting. I did not know that." Um, so it's very similar. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Right, Seth. Well, let me introduce. By the way, I've never, I haven't done introductions, so let me first do that. So you are the uh, co-founder and CTO of Secure Code Warrior, and uh, for those that, that that aren't familiar with Secure Code Warrior, um, we actually use it at GitHub. Um, and the reason I can just tell you the reason I chose it uh, was because basically it was gamifying training and it was more interesting. And we were just talking about this before the podcast that, um, yeah, training used to be really boring. And now you're starting to see a far more interesting way of tackling training, um, which is something we're going to get into because I definitely want to talk about this. But yeah, Secure Code were. Um, it, well, there's a few things I liked about it. One of them is you can run tournaments. That's, that was the important thing. 
um, for us to make it interesting, like to have a CTF style tournament. Um, and then also you can just assign people training. You can, if there are findings that match up, you know, with some, something you can give, you can point to point to on the, uh, secure code war site, meaning like if you discovered, we'll say command injection or something like that, you can point directly to the training. So that's why we, and by the way, this podcast, everybody knows there's no sponsorship. There's, this is not professional. This is just me putting out why I, when I was looking at different vendors, um, went with secure code warrior. So anyways, I'm a fan of the project project. And, uh, also like big shout out to while we're on the podcast to Sean Varga, who I initially linked up with over there. Um, really, really uh, helpful, really, really good, uh, person. So, um, anyways, You've been on the pot. You've been on uh, Application Security Weekly before, which I'll post a post a link to. So we don't want to duplicate too many of those questions. Um, I guess I'll I'll reiterate a couple of the interesting bits uh, about you. One of them being that you sort of taught yourself programming, um, which was really interesting. You did security research at Ghent University, uh, which is really cool. Um, that's sort of what brought you into it. You worked at Fortify, where you built static analysis tools or worked on the static analysis tooling. Yeah, actually, clear, let me let you clarify uh, what what all it entailed at Fortify for you. Sure, so I spent uh, seven years at, at Fortify and HP combined because in the, in the middle of, of my journey, three and a half years in, um, Fortify got acquired by HP. Um, I actually started off as an intern um, because I was doing static analysis at, at Ghent University um, for code obfuscation. Um, so, so I, I moved to San, to, to San Mateo and joined them as an internship, which was, um, going to be just three months, but you know, if it's California, so I really liked it over there. So I stayed on, um, it was a great team. It was actually a fantastic team, all top-notch people, um, that are now, now having really interesting jobs in other organizations. Um, and I found static analysis very interesting, but they also had runtime solutions. So I... Um, I was working on, on, on writing these rules for uh, the static analysis engine. I think I've done some PHP rules back in the day, Java rules. Um, but I also had a, a very keen interest in all the runtime solutions that Fortify was building. Um, because, you know, with Gartner, they had to have an, the entire suite, not only static analysis, but also dynamic analysis and the runtime application uh, self-protection um, engine. So they're working on, on, on a lot of different tools. Um, of course, their flagship product was um, was the static analysis solution. So I worked for, for three and a half years um, within Fortify um, as a researcher, then got acquired um, by HP. Um, a lot of people left. Um, I stayed on for three and a half years. Um, that, that gave me a lot of opportunity um, uh, where I was able to experiment with building solutions. Um, and actually putting them to market. So the, the last three and a half years were mainly about, hey, you know what, can we build something that is meaningful for a particular customer, an add-on, a new product, um, something, can we build something and, and sell that to a particular customer? And, and at the very end, um, we, we built some very interesting, cool technology. And at that point, I was thinking like, well, maybe I can do this myself. Maybe I can make something that, that really helps people um, and, and that we can sell to, to a lot of organizations. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So pivoting into that, um, and like, you know, in, into more of the secure code warrior, uh, sort of like wh who, how did it come about the way that you've designed the way that you've all designed the, the training to be, and, and again, just to reiterate, it's sort of like a, for those that have never seen it, you, uh, log, man, I actually, if I was on a different computer, I could log in and show you. But uh, it, the, the long short of it, I guess, would be that you've, you've got code in front of you. Um, I mean, I know there's more to it than this, but one of the ways, the main ways, is that there's like code in front of you. You point to so you get, kind of like, here's an introduction to that category of vulnerability. Point to where this code is vulnerable and then choose the out of the multiple solutions, which solution is correct. And you do that for so many different languages. And some of these languages have like 600 and something challenges. I thought that was really... Yeah. Like, yeah, in depth <laughs> and difficult because Seth and I have built before a training platform and we know how difficult that is. But yeah, so how did you, how did that idea come about? How did, how did the, the way it's currently implemented, implemented come about and why? 
Sure. I'll, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll also take one step back and give you a little bit about the history of, of um, um, how it all came together. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. so um, I'm, I'm here in Belgium. Peter, my, my co-founder, is in Sydney, Australia. Um, Peter started Secure Code Warrior with, with a, 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 a really good group of people um, out of Sydney, Australia. What I did, I actually started a separate company called Sensei Security out of Bruges, Belgium. Um, our, our vision, our idea was exactly the same. It was, how can we help developers write secure code? We had the exact same thing. And Peter and I, I we know each other from Ghent University. We were actually together at Ghent. We are the exact same age. Um, we went separate ways. I went to the US, joining Fortify. He went to Australia for BEA systems, if I'm not mistaken, um, or UI even before that. Um, and, and you kind of lost track of each other. He started his company. I started my company. And I actually re-met at, at RSA. And he was building a training solution, Secure Code Warrior, gamified training solution, where I was building. Um, and that's why I know this this, this information about, about static analysis and, and, and IDEs. We were building guidance in the IDE for, for um, developers. So we were really, hey, how can we guide developers in real time? It's and, like and recommendations that are like pretty specific then? Yeah, and, and we tried a lot of different models because um, my history with Fortify was this endless cycle of you find a bug and you give it to a developer. Oh, my God, another bug and you give it to a developer. So there's an endless cycle. And my idea was like, hey, how can we break that cycle? How can we stop that cycle and tell the developer how to develop secure code from the start? And, and the way I approached that was, you know what? You really have to be very, very close to the developer. You have to be there when he is coding, and you have to give him feedback when he is coding. And, and not telling the wrong thing, not telling, you know, you're doing it wrong, and this is not good, and you, you, you have a mistake, and I will not tell you how to fix it. No, 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 really be there and say, this is, this is your problem. Um, this is a known problem. This is how it works, and this is how you fix it. So really, the, the, the positive angle. So both our companies, both our, our vision was actually very, very aligned. And we were very complementary in what we were doing, also in skill set and market. We, we, it, it, it was actually a natural fit to join forces and say, hey, you know what? Let's, let's go onto this market with, um, um, with a training solution that scales very well, that we go to huge organizations and say, hey, you know what? Do you want to tackle this problem um, um, the right way en masse? Then this is this is our solution. This is our training solution, and then the next step is is more around tooling and and being closer to the developer. Um, so the way Peter um, um, took that approach is really he was working very close with um, the financial institutions in Sydney. Um, the idea was there to go enterprise from the start. It was not selling to three, four, five developers. That was not the initial goal. The initial goal is really hey, how can we sell to ten thousand people? How can you train people, 10,000 people at once? Because Peter, he did SANS before where you train 20 people at a time. But if you have 10,000 people in an organization and you do them at 20 people in a week, well, you know, that's not going to make it. And it's not going to scale. No, that's not going to scale. So he, he was thinking, like, hey, how can, how can I do this in, um, in an interesting way, in a really interesting way, not boring videos, um, but in an interesting way. So the first thing that you need to tackle is it has to be interesting for a developer. And you would say, well, of course, you know, that's that's easy. Make it interesting. But what interesting really means is you have to have it in the language and the framework of that developer. It does not make sense to give a developer Java code if he's writing .NET code on a day-to-day -day basis. Or more extreme, you know, you, you, he's working on COBOL and you give him a Java course. You Thank you. I think he cut out a little bit. Yep. He's frozen. So. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll unfreeze soon. Yeah. I think I mean, we found the same thing with our training that you have to find, you have to make it interesting. We also have developers in it. Yeah. Oh, maybe we're getting him back. Yeah. I think I didn't pay my internet bill. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that issue before too. <laughs> you have to put in another quarter. Is that you know? Yeah, yeah. That's what I just done. So in the meantime, I just put in. A, no, I, I, or my kids are playing Fortnite and it's it's eating up all the bandwidth. I don't oh know. gosh! Don't even get me started on Fortnite. And that has been a the bane of my existence this 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 actual weekend. I have a seven year old. I should not let him play Fortnite. It's become a thing. It's an obsessive, addictive thing. Do not. Do not let your kids play Fortnite if they're too young. Like that's take it uh, for me. 
I so disagree. I play Fortnite too because it's a, it's actually a really good way if I'm traveling to to connect with my kids. And, yeah. And have a good chat if it's healthy if they can maintain oh, a healthy yeah. relationship but <laughs> my son's not having anyways i don't know how we're getting off on that yeah. that's so, but be, um, just be warned that it can be dangerous yeah. people yeah. On, on a training solution peter really thought about hey how can we do this enterprise wide we have to have features like sso from the start um, um because you know we have to make sure that this scale um, so you have to have meat you have to have the the training modules in the language and the framework of the developer um, target was financial market. So let's start with Java and .NET. Um, and if that works, let's let's make some more languages and frameworks. And, and right now we're up to 29. So all the way from very old stuff like COBOL to newer stuff like Kotlin. Um, we, we, we also um, um, have C and C++ because now we can address another market, um, and more telcos, for example, or, or embedded systems that are using more of the C and C++. Um, but you know that 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 grew. You cannot do that from the start. So from the start, you really have to focus on on one thing, which was make something that is useful for the financial institution that works for ten thousand developers at once. And and then the gamification is an overlay to your solution. Um, if you start with, hey, I want to make a gamified platform, yeah, that's not going to work. That's that's not going to work. If you don't have the meat, um, you can do. Whatever with gamification, it's not going to work. So start with having some meat, something that works, something that is relevant. And if, but I, I, I surely agree with if you overlay that with some gamification aspects, with some fun aspects, um, for sure you can get some traction with your developers, and 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 they, they hopefully like it, and it's more engaging for them. So you have some meat, and then overlay it with 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 um. But when the, you say meet, do you mean that the the challenges that are relevant? Like, yeah. do you mean the the, the de- like the breadth of the challenges, or the the challenges being just like relevant to the developers? Yeah, so it has to be relevant for the developers. Um, it, it, it there has to be something in there, um, and it has to be substantial. Um, the last number that I've heard is that we have like a four thousand training modules today. So, so <laughs> I believe it. That 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 is substantial. You know. Um, and 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 still, you know, it's still hard for us to to keep up and keep that pace and make it even for us make it in a scalable way. We want you know um, um, have as many developers as possible on our platform and train them all at once, so in a scalable way. But also for us, we cannot write challenge per challenge. You know, we also have to figure out like, hey, how can we, what can we do to transform code and make challenges automatically? Um, so we we cracked a, a really good nut end of last year. Where we made some engine to make challenges, and it's it's really nifty. It's really interesting. So even for us, we want to scale into the market, but also we want to scale ourselves to to have that capability to serve as many people as possible. Yeah, I was wondering about that because, like I said, some of those have like like Node, I think, had something like six hundred and something challenges, and I know the Ruby on one, the Ruby on Rails one had probably that same amount, and there's a ton of challenges, and I was thinking like. Man, it has to take a lot of time to because it's not just the challenge; it's also the solution. It's oh, yeah. you know, right? The different solutions that are like most mostly incorrect, and there's one that's it is that is correct. You know, so there you've got a, there's a lot of content to sort of build. So I was trying to think of like how much oh, yeah. just yeah. hours goes goes into that. Oh, I can I can I can give you an idea. An idea. So so what we do is initially it takes us two days to write a challenge from start to finish. Um, with with descriptions, with um, code review, with security review, and it actually goes through a translation company too. So it takes um, two full days, sixteen hours to make one particular training module, and and as you rightfully say, we're we're serving a difficult market because a developer. Let's let's be honest. If you talk, if you ask a developer, is this a, is this a great thing? Um, the best you can you can either get a no, no, or yeah. you can get a meh. You know, yeah. if you read it's a very fickle market, I know that yeah. I know that from for, yeah firsthand. It's it's very difficult. So if you reach the meh zone, you're like, wow, okay, good, they like it. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're we're actually lucky. We're lucky that our developers like it. But one thing which is um, 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 which was really well uh, engineered, I think, is the fact that they can give instant feedback, and we have a team in the back that actually takes that feedback and updates our challenges. So so even if the developer says no, this this is this is crap, this is not good. You need to fix that. 
um, we have a team in the back that says, okay, let's look into that and we either give a response why why we think we are right or we actually update our challenge. Um, and that's the only way it's going to work. It, it's somewhat a community effort too, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, for what it's worth, most of the feedback that we have had on the platform was was positive. So, it, which it wasn't even meh; it was like mostly yeah. positive. So yeah. we were we were really happy with it. Yeah, um, you are always going to have like one or two people that are like, "Oh, there's probably a better way to solve that," or you know, whatever. But like, if if you're getting the majority of people giving good feedback, that's a really hard thing to obtain in any platform that you put out there. So. Uh, Kudos to you. I mean, on that note, like, do you, do you, do you, is there, you know, is there like a, a like sort of an evolution coming along with training or is there, is there something more that you think is going to happen in the next couple of years? Is, is it, is it just more of sort of, uh, and I know I'm not just talking about secure code warrior. I just mean how, how training occurs you know, in general, like without giving away too much, like proprietary, whatever plans you might have. No, but no. I'm happy to to talk about that. So what what I think, um, what, what I think is is um, um, training right now, um, as it stands, it has to be um, more embedded into our day to day work. Um, what we're doing today with with Secure Code Warrior is, I think, a really good first step. Um, I think personally, but I think we need to do better. I think we need to do better in the next couple of years to be even closer to the developer, be be part of what he's doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and, I, and I think that that's really important. Um, I think we, we we are fortunate that we have this large database of, of code challenges and, and training modules. Um, I think now we need to think about, hey, how can we bring that in a, in a very interesting way close to the developer? If he's working on a SQL injection, that's when we need to be there and say, hey, you know what? Here's a SQL injection training module. Um, and, and we have a, a lot of, of, I think, pretty good ideas that we're executing on right now um, where we work on ways on, on making ourselves part of that particular ecosystem, that whole DevOps movement. We're no longer you know, doing the whole um, um, waterfall thingy. What, what we build today is going to ship tomorrow. So we need to make sure that we're there fast. We cannot wait. Um, and, and say, well, today is going to be training day, and then we do five days of development, and then another training day. No, we need to be more agile in our way of providing training to developers too, um, and train and train them at the right time, the right moment when he's working on. If he's writing a query against the database, and you figure out that he has never taken a SQL injection training, that's when we need to say, hey, by the way, here's a SQL injection training. So almost a just in just in time training, right? Absolutely. For lack of a better term, or absolutely. So, so I mean, is is that part of what you've been using, like your IDE integrations? Like you're looking into how do we actually pull that into that activity rather than? I mean, I know the gamification and like the platform itself now is embedded in the browser and all of that. But are you trying to pull that way um, with an yeah. IDE? Yeah, absolutely. So we're looking at at a, a lot of different options. Um, 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 bug tracking systems, IDEs, um, um, Slack, for example. So how, how can we make sure that where, where the developer is in his day-to-day -day environment, that's where we need to be. Um, so everything that you can think of, tools that a developer is touching on a day-to-day -day basis, um, that's that's where we want to be. Um, it's not going to happen overnight. And and there's, there's a lot of bad IDs too, but we need to make sure we need to filter the good IDs and figure out, you know, um, how can we bring our training solution closer to the developer? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting um, take on training in general. I, like, because we've seen the static analysis tools kind of go through that same iteration, right? Is initially like, oh, we're just going to plug into the build pipeline and we'll create the results there. And then the de developers never see those results or they never see those findings and it never gets fixed. And so it just becomes noise around the build, right? Um, and so they've pushed. I, I mean, you worked on that at Fortify then, the, the integration with IDEs and you know pushing more into developers' daily workspace, correct? Yes, but I think I think there's there's a there's a there's a substantial difference here. And I think the difference is where the static analysis solutions, the, the penetration testing solutions, they all give you bad news. They actually all give you bad news. They don't want to help you. They do not want to help yeah. you. They just want to smack you and say no wrong and um they want to they want to smack you fast 
Um, that's that's essentially what they do. You know, they no longer wait until everything is built and and they're going to do it at the end of the month. No, they want to do it in real time. What what we're doing, we really want to bring positive out, and we really want to help the developer. Um, the, the the entire focus of, of Secure Code Warrior is doing something positive, help the developer. Um, we should be the friend of the developer, not really of the, the AppSec dude. Of course, it's going to make the AppSec dude happy, but we want to help the developer. We are there to help him and make sure it flies through that code review. It flies through that static analysis solution. Um, so you know, our, our entire branding is around positiveness, around making this thing work and, and rally the entire organization behind something which which ultimately the company benefits of. Mm -hmm. So what has been kind of the biggest challenge of like that, that change in mentality, right? From, mm -hmm. hey, it's a security to, tool to, hey, this is actually a development training as opposed to a security mm -hmm. training. Um, I, I think um, the biggest change is when, when we come into organizations, um, we really want, so, so also when, when we initially started, Peter was sitting down with developers and asked them, you know, is, is this relevant to you or is this not relevant to you? And how, how do we need to present this code and how should it work? And, and actually, today we're still doing the same thing. Yes, we come in through AppSec or security, but our proof of concept is really with the developers and we're asking, hey, do you see value? Is this something that will work in your organization? Can you rally around the theme like Star Wars and and, and do a tournament Star Wars wise and give out prizes? Is that something that will fly in your organization? Um, and and, and I, from, from my old days, um, I cannot see that same thing when we sold the static analysis solution. We were there with AppSec. Um, did it help AppSec? Yes. Well, then we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna write a check. Um, whatever the developer thinks is, you know, they didn't really ask. And now uh -huh. you bring closer to the developer. And and some, you know, don't get me wrong. We're we're not gonna, you know, you still need that that particular thing. You still need static analysis. You still need penetration testing. Of course, you need that. But everything has its place its place in the SDLC. I think. Well, I mean, you need, uh, speaking as somebody who's on the internal AppSec team, you do need your developers to to basically propagate your knowledge base, right? And be your, I mean, there's no way we, I feel like we have a pretty large AppSec team at, uh, at GitHub. We've got easily eight or nine people and um, that's still not nearly enough for all the developers that we have. So we do rely pretty heavily on, you know, developers making both raising issues when they see them, but also, you know, obviously being able to detect them yeah. and engaging us when, you know, I'm going to make a new feature, I'm going to make a new app, and I know I need to reach out and engage for architecture and just, you know, architecture and design discussions. So just even having, even having visibility in front of the developers to know that we exist and to, cause we've got, I mean, for us, and I don't know how this is for other organizations, but when you're onboarding sometimes waves of developers, like we've, we've definitely had, um, they may not even know you exist. So having something that gets you in front of them and, and makes, makes you visible for, for what it's okay. worth. I think that's incredibly important. And in, in that particular scenario, if you have waves of developers, it, it may be a good idea to, to weave some training into the onboarding mm. where, um, where if, if I don't know what the biggest problem is that you that that's in your organization, but if it's SQL injection, well, weave some SQL injection training in there, um, or some belting system where you say, well, go through the OWASP top ten in a relevant language that you're using on a day-to-day -day basis, and oh, by the way, here are the AppSec people that can help you out in in, in, in if you have any questions. Well, it, it may be a really good idea to to train your developers early on and and make sure that you are known in the, in the organization. Um, we, we've had some people sort of point to the fact they don't really think that the OWASP top 10 is necessarily like the most relevant thing uh, when it comes to, to training. I, I think there's still plenty on there, um, especially with like, yeah, I mean, I still, I think there's plenty on there when it comes to like authorization and, and access control and, you know, things like cross-site request forgery and stuff. It's still completely applicable, but you know, I'm curious about your thoughts on, on like sort of the, uh, where the OWASP top 10 is now, you know, are you seeing specifically, I guess where, where I want to get to with this is like, are there vulnerabilities that your customers are more now interested in 
um, that maybe are outside of the OWASP top 10 that are becoming more of a trend that you, you are mm -hmm. hearing about or seeing? So, so I, I agree. Like, like if, if you say, hey, um, um, about categories of problems, um, it, it doesn't scale across languages. To give you one simple example, COBOL, where is the OWASP top 10 for COBOL? Of course, that does not exist. And we have to have a top 10. So, so what we've done in, in, in our organization is then we've done our own research and, and we try to work with the industry and say, hey, you're a COBOL developer, what do you see? Hey, you're a COBOL developer, what do you see? And we've built a top 10 in there. Um, so, so I think OWASP top 10 has has its place. Um, it, it is relevant for certain languages, and and we provide that in these in these languages. For other languages, of course, you know, it, it, if it's not web, it's not web, um, and we have to come up with with our own solution. Same is true for C and C So we try to map, and we 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 we, um, um, we, we, we go into the industry. We uh, take some questionnaires, and we figure out what people are really using and seeing. And, and that's what we're building on top of. Um, so I, OWASP, it, it has its place. It's definitely useful, but not you know in, for, for what it is built for, essentially. It is useful for what it is built for. Um, um, it would be nice if we can collect even more statistics and, 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 and have our own data and tell you or tell the world what we see is relevant. We're not quite there yet, but of course, you know that's a, that's an interesting idea to to figure out from our own customers and what do they see and what's very relevant. Um, but we have to start somewhere, you know. If if nobody knows about security, nobody's going to spot security issues, and and it's impossible to collect data. So um, let's take it step by step and and see um, where this lead, lead us to. Yeah, I, I mean, I always, I always find that problem interesting. That hey, we train people on something like SQL injection, right? And of course, after we train them, we see more instances of SQL injection because yeah. they know what to look for, right? Absolutely. And so it's it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that, hey, you know what? SSRF is going to be the next big thing. We train on everybody on what SSRF is, and all of a sudden the bug bunny guys find it. You know what I mean? It's just like the, like the whole industry has a tendency to do that over and over and over with every single bug that's out there. And so Dude, it, every it, time James Kettle releases a blog post, yes, yes, our bug bounty program gets inundated with like copy pasta, like <laughs> here's from James Kettle's blog post, these this thing that's gonna be the thing that I need to mm -hmm. like, yeah, focus yeah, on. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and um actually one that we we thought about too, where where we say sometimes it's it's counterintuitive, but sometimes you need to train people on stuff that they have not that they that they are not aware of. So if, if you know that they've taken SQL injection training and cross-site scripting training, well, train them on something else because, of course, they're going to see more of SQL injection and cross-site scripting. Uh, it's yeah. not intuitive, but you're exactly right. Yeah. Well, and that, I mean, I, I always wonder, like, so you combine your, like, the training that you're giving with, like, the analytics behind the scenes of, all right, we train people on SQL injection and cross-site scripting. Hey, for the next two months or six months, we saw, like, a marked increase in the number of those findings in our code mm -hmm. and then it starts to tail off right that 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 is probably the that's the outcome that you desire as an application security person even though to management it looks like oh my gosh right we just got way worse rather than no no we got really a lot better at identifying those issues right are you seeing those sorts of trends so what we normally start with is we ask the customer like what are what what is your biggest problem um, uh -huh. and and to be honest our our our, our best um, sales are to people that have a static analysis solution that are doing penetration testing it's it's not to the to the to the new to the companies that have never um, um, been through these pains before so. The first thing that we do ask is, you know, what do you really see? What is really a problem within your organization? Is it is it SQL injection, for example? Um, and and if if it is, then we actually work with with them and we write out a program where we're going to train the developers on SQL injection. And yes, they they actually fix. So if if you look at the trend, then um, by the static analysis solution, it goes down. But at the same time, they do find more manual. Problems, of course, because then they say, "Oh my God, there's this thing here too," and it's not pointed out by the by the static analysis solution, but but we found it. So the way we approach it, because metrics is very hard, you know, in, in application security, is really oh we. Oh my are gosh! Yeah, they are. Let's yeah. not break open that can of worms, but um, 
We ask the customer, like, what, what, what do you want to get out of the program? Um, um, is it general awareness, or do you have a problem in your static analysis solution that that is going all red with SQL injection? Well, let's focus on that. Um, it's going to go down in that static analysis solution. Yes, there's going to be more manual findings, but that's good. That's good. That that means people get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I always wonder, like, what the management response to that is. You know, obviously, if they're paying for training, they've got some understanding, and the AppSec guys and even the developers Maybe. should understand. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> but they should understand that whole kind of process that's in there. But I, as an industry, I don't think we're very well attuned to that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because it it always is just like this the raw count, right? Mm -hmm. We're always talking about oh, for the OWASP top ten, we're just going to go look at the number of findings that people have. Um, and I, I mean, we saw all the problems with 2017 and the tools that we're spitting out, you know, cross-site scripting and everything else that that was like, <clears throat> that they skewed the results, right? Yeah, and also so, like you were saying earlier, language language and framework plays a huge part in yeah. it too, you know, and what you'll see. So yeah, so, so maybe yeah. one thing that I would like to add to that is, is um, um, we actually like to work with companies that get it. And what I mean by that is actually with companies that, that have a static analysis solution, penetration testing solution, they already get it. But on top of that, they are not doing this thing for compliance. You know, they, they look through compliance and they say, we really, we understand the problem. We want to fix it. Um, we understand that this and that is going to happen, but we want to do the right thing. And, and these are ideal, these are ideal customers. They, they get it from top to bottom. Um, if they only do it for compliance, you know, we rather not work with 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 yeah. our organization. It's a, you know, we we rather make a substantial difference within an organization where everybody rallies around it and says, you know what, we want to do the good thing, um, we want to make our code more secure, and it's not just the the, the rubber stamp on 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 our, on our code. Yeah, I, I mean that's a good. I mean that's a good situation to be in. I mean, as a consultant, like coming from the consulting side, I'm with you on that. And then there there are still times that I end up taking stuff that's hey, I've got a couple of weeks that I need to fill. And I realize it's just a compliance check, but, right. I know. But it, so, so don't get me wrong. Like, it, it, it may not be a bad idea to come in through compliance. You know, if you need to do compliance, you need to do compliance. Um, but there are companies that just say, you know what, it's only for that. You know, I don't care about security. We only want the rubber stamp. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, that's not a company that we want to engage with. You know, they want to want to make a substantial difference. Yeah. Yeah, what? Yeah, which makes sense, right? Like, like I always feel like compliance is kind of the sneaky way to get in, right? Yeah. But if you can, if you can engage with the right people after compliance has brought you in, it can be successful, right? It, it can work out, um, but it's it's harder there than it is if a developer or an application security person actually brings you in, Absolutely. right? Just because they they understand understand the situation and even better if developers bring us in yeah yep yep so like in those organizations when you have uh, developers that bring you in like how long does it usually take to bring the the platform up to speed right um is it you know overnight or is it you know a couple weeks what's the what's the typical kind of play there so, so no, it's 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 not overnight, and um, there are actually there are good reasons for. It. So when we when we engage with an organization, we we first really want to know what they want to achieve. Um, just having people on the platform is not what they want to achieve. They always have some goal in mind. Um, yeah. So, so we have a, a customer success team um, uh, that really helps with companies making them successful with our solution. So when we when we sell, they go in and they really try to understand, you know, what do you want to achieve and do we all have the right people on board to achieve that thing? Because it's one thing to set a goal, but if but if nobody rallies around it and if you do not know who you need to talk to, then it's not gonna happen either. So that's the first thing that needs to happen. Normally the second thing that happens, of course, based on the plan, is um, you start with a tournament. You start with a tournament to engage people to make sure that there's a positive vibe uh, around Secure Code Warrior. Um, sometimes they make a team like a Star Wars team um, with some prizes, and and you really want to set um, um, set the thing up uh, right from the start. You want to make sure that it is set up right. That 
you know, people are engaged, they are having fun. It's 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 something that they want to do and not something that they are forced to do. And mm -hmm. what quite often happens is afterwards, you know, people tell people about this thing and you can win some prizes um, and it, it, it goes through the organization. And then, of course, it depends on your goal and your strategy on how to roll it out. And it is a little bit steered about our customer success people. They have a plan in place, say, you know, do this, do that. This is in, in other organizations with this particular or a similar culture. This is this is what works for them and what's not working for them. So a rollout is is purely based on what you really want to achieve at what speed and and in, in, in what time frame. Sometimes there's, you know, don't get me wrong, we do sell to people that want to have compliance and it, the budget is coming out of compliance. And then there's a deadline where you need to show that people are trained. So some people work th towards that, that particular date and roll it out towards that particular date. Other organizations, you know, roll it out by office. Um, there's there's a plenty of different strategies on how to roll out the training program, all yeah. depending on company and culture. Yeah, I, I mean, I like the idea of the tournament upfront, right? Like. I, again, the gamification of like actual training or of actual, you know, secure coding, um, you know, Ken and I, you know, at, at one point had built a, you know, a small platform, not to the level that secure code warrior is, but um, a training platform as well. And it's, I, I don't know. I keep going back to the point that it's like the amount of work that goes into to what you're doing behind the scenes is often glossed over, right? Like you're saying 16 hours to build one of those modules. And I, I yeah, and that that's that's end to end. And that that's actually very impressive. That's quick. From, yeah, it's it's really quick. Like some of the stuff that we were doing, like, and we were, we only end up being, I think, with like four or five different languages and frameworks, and the, the hurdles mm. that you have to jump through and the the technical advancement that you have to make. I mean, obviously having a team helps, right? Um, but oh, yeah. like, I, I just don't want to discount the amount of effort that goes into that. Having that behind the scenes, behind that gamification is what's impressive. And that's the tech. I, I mean, obviously that's what makes Secure Code Warrior. That layer on front is helpful to actually get it picked up. And, you know, like, I think there's a lot of organizations that attempt to do some sort of gamification around security in general, right? Whether that's training, whether that's identifying incidents, identifying like phishing emails, right? Like there's quite a few different platforms that do that, but the the technology behind it is what really makes it work. And I think that's the point that you were making earlier, right? Yeah, and it's so, um, and, and I absolutely follow your point because if you're spending, if, if you try something out, then, uh, my assumption is you, you've built that, you've put a lot of hours in there and you give it to a developer and sometimes in no time they go through it and they're like, yeah, done, what's next? And then you're like, oh my yeah. God, you know, I've spent two weeks building something and it took them 10 minutes to do this and now I have to build another two weeks stuff and they, they go through it in 10 minutes. So there's a huge imbalance and, and that's something that, you know, that, that we definitely struggle with initially. If you have 100 challenges, well, that's nothing. If if a hundred challenges, you know, over two or three languages, that's that's literally nothing. People play two, three, four, five minutes at most a challenge, and they go through it. So you need to have a substantial set of challenges. Making a proof of concept is is very very trivial, but you know, making this library of things that are good, that are vetted, that that people can relate to is is definitely fun. Like, yeah, well, and it's not only that, but it's also the like each of those different languages and frameworks is constantly evolving. So <laughs> you, you spent two weeks and then, you know, Rails comes out with a new version and you got to spend another two weeks on each of those or at oh, least yeah. like a portion of time to keep it up to date, right? It's it's a constantly evolving issue. Um, it's it's something yeah. that a lot of people struggle with. I remember in, in, the, in the Fortify days, we definitely struggled with that too. You know, what, what do you do with static analysis if, if you go through versions and um, you make this, this, this problem super, super complex? You make it super, super complex. So um, luckily, I, I was able to learn a little bit from that experience and take that with me in, in, into Secure Code Warrior. But it's not a solved thing. You know, it is not a solved thing. It is a hugely complex problem. Like, what do you, what do you support and what do you not support? And and with twenty nine languages and frameworks, if we would do versioning, that would make it insanely complex. And that's why this like yeah. and and 
and scalability thing that we're working on is really helping us out. To be yeah. fair, I mean, you can get the gist as a developer, you know, like, especially if you're, cause I, I mean, I think if you're a developer who works on, let's say Java spring, like you've been through all the various iterations you've been there. It's not like you just decided one day I'm going to do Java spring, you know, coming from, I don't know, Django or whatever other. Yeah. It's not like you've been with that platform for a while is my, I guess my point. So you've, yeah. you can get the, the gist of the, the challenge from that. I feel like. Yeah, it's it's still it's still a complex problem, um, yeah. because, you know, because we're we're we need to support people that are still writing COBOL, um, like yeah. COBOL code. So, so, like, not even talk. We don't even have to talk about versioning. That just gives you the magnitude of of the problem. If if, yeah. if we still need to support COBOL, so people on Angular one, the, the they're still there. You know, they're still there. Oh yeah. Uh, with versions of very early Java, very early .NET, why do they not move? Well, it's impossible for them to move. Um, they just have that one person still maintaining the code. He needs to uh, understand the code. So, um, yep, it's it's a it's a big challenge and and one that we like, of course. You know, the more challenges, the better. Um, yeah, crack the nut on it, 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 it makes it better. So there is one thing I wanted to get to before we ended the show. I was not able to actually, like I was, as I mentioned, I'd watched the AppSec Weekly uh, podcast with you, but I had not had the opportunity to watch your talk, which sounded super interesting uh, about how to spend $3.6 million on one coding mistake. That that title, I didn't get it. I'm going to post a link to it. I didn't get a chance to watch it's, it, but that it, title it, stuck out. It's bait, right? What's that? <laughs> it's talk bait or clickbait? No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. It looks super interesting. I was hoping maybe we could get like this sort of cliff note version from you because it, it sounded really, really cool. I actually, so... Um, uh, it's interesting that you bring it up. So this talk is 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 a couple of years old, um, and, uh, and I actually over Christmas and New Year, I'm, I'm thinking about the new talk, and, and I actually want to take that one back because people say, you know what, this is one is outdated. You you talk about um, how um, how software is built really in in a waterfall um, um, methodology, and and it doesn't make sense these days. And I actually agree with that. So the, the entire the idea of the, for the talk was, hey, you know what, I read an article and says. I think Verizon said the average breach cost you 3.6 million. So I thought, well, what can you do with 3.6 million in, in software security? You can actually wait until that one thing happens and spend the 3.6 million. Um, or you can try and take, for example, half of that money and spend it on application security. So what do you do then? Do you do do you do you throw a lot of money on pen testers? Do you throw a lot of money on, on static analysis or on training or a little bit here or a little bit there? Bet it all on Seth. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, no. um, or so. So the idea was really, or do you listen to Gartner? Um, so, so where where do you spend the money? And and I went through an exercise. You know how you can potentially spend money on 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 particular activities in the SDLC and how you can optimize your budget. What what I think what was really interesting for me is I've done some analysis of an organization where I was. Uh, before Secure Code Warrior, I did a brief period of consulting. Um, and I was sitting there and I knew the numbers, what they were spending. And and the calculation that I made was um, every developer that worked for a day was introducing $50 in application security cost. Because every day, like on the on, on the time spend, they were, I think it was $50, around $47. I should look up the number. It's it's a couple of years old, but what I what I figured out is they introduce at this particular rate bugs, and this is what they pay for their static analysis solution and their pen testing. So the idea was, well, you have a couple options. You know, you can fire all your developers, then no bugs are introduced anymore, or you can actually try to optimize your budget for application security and see how you can reduce that number. Because every day that a developer writes code, he actually introduces bugs, and he introduces fifty dollars of future cost in your organization. Um, so, and, and I would like to redo that particular exercise. I'm not sure how I'm going to do that because these days, um, it's 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 no longer relevant. What I'm what I'm what I was um, um, uh, working with, I think, is no longer relevant in that DevOps cycle, fast shipping. Um, it's it's more about confidence. So I need to get my head around like, hey, what is relevant these days? What what does development really look like these days? And, and how should we optimize our, our budget these days for the new world, the new world in which we write software? 
Yeah, that I mean that's an interesting take, right? Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. The whole like, hey, you're gonna spend your any organization over a long enough time period is going to spend that money, whether it's after the fact when a breach happens and they're doing incident response, or prior to that when they're actually you know actually trying to build code. I don't think I mean waterfall versus the agile, the DevOps methodology. Like I, I always run it as a consultant. I always run into hey, there's the whole concept of tech debt, right? Yeah. And it's almost like you've put a number on that, like application security tech debt. Um, but if you could figure out how to actually apply that, it would probably still be pretty relevant because the developers are constantly churning out code. And if anything, they're not allowed to, they're not given as much time on a like two week or four week cycle in the waterfall like methodology to actually build things out. It's, hey, I have to build this and ship it out now. And if there's a problem with it, I add it to the backlog. Yep. And it's it's actually documented that there's an issue that I know there's a problem with authorization or with how I'm handling SQL, like it, whatever, right? And, but but that, that associated cost and that associated tech debt is still there, right? Sure. So, what, what the way I see it is is um, yes, but it's coming. There, there's this faster feedback loop where you find a problem and and you get it into your backlog, and maybe the next sprint you already tackle it. So, there's this faster feedback loop where in the old days you just were working on code, and at the end you brought in a pen tester that that worked on it for two weeks and gave you that gave you a report, and then for the next six months you you didn't do anything at all. So it was more in a staged process where um, once the pen test comes in, you take these issues back to the developers, you block out a week, and you work on these issues. So I think the feedback loop and the cycle is is faster. So I, I need to figure out you know, how you can measure that better. Um, um, so I, I think, yes, components are still relevant. You, we still work with pen testers and all of that. Um, but the speed at which issues are coming back and can potentially be fixed is is different. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it would be interesting. But definitely, I, you know, you should redo that <laughs> in, all, in all of your spare time, right? <laughs> I think it's not just speed um, that factors in, too. I mean, the, the new thing that has occurred um, beyond, like, developers being significantly, I feel like, anyways, significantly more aware of, like, things like breaches and security incidents is, like, these bug bounty programs have introduced an entirely different dynamic, um, which changes not only your costs for like what's paid out, but like, you know, internally uh, your cert team looking into it, your uh, developer teams responding, your product managers spending their time uh, prioritizing. It, there's all these different costs. Um, and outside of bug bounty programs, uh, you had mentioned integrating into with secure code warrior, like Jira and whatnot, and just like the tracking mechanisms and the tooling and just the like, um, you're right that the processes themselves they've all impacted and changed uh cost specifically um and yeah so anyways um i don't know where i was going with that but i agree i think things have changed and there's like a, a few different factors um that that play into it just beyond you know like continuous development continuous integration mm -hmm. <clears throat> anyways yeah, yeah. I'll read, I'll read <laughs> enough rambling for me no it's uh, it's it's definitely an interesting problem, right? And I I don't know. I, like you, you talk about wanting to deal with organizations that aren't just compliance driven, and 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 I think that feeds into it, right? If they're willing to take some of that future cost and spread it over the next couple of years, it's a lot easier to deal with that organization because they understand mm -hmm. the the issues that go into security as opposed to. No, no, no. It's just because the government told us that we had to do this, so we're going to do it, right? Oh, I hate that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you yeah, know what? So you can you can use. You had mentioned this too earlier, Seth. You had kind of pointed to this. You can use compliance as a driver. I mean, you both did. You can use compliance as a driver, but also like make whatever you're doing to meet compliance be useful. You can yeah. do that, but you know, you're right. Like there are people who don't care. They just want to like. I got to put this little X in that box and like move on, you know? So yeah, people play. It well, and I, yeah, I mean, speaking to that specifically, like I, I know, you know, Fortify was probably a, uh, a big player. Well, they were a big player 
when PCI took off, right? You talk about <laughs> yeah. one way that compliance actually grew the industry. PCI was a huge driver for static analysis, dynamic analysis, consulting, like penetration testing, because all these organizations had to take security seriously in order to accept credit cards, right? To get paid. Yeah. And so like there were organizations that that's all they did. They're like, okay, what's the bare minimum that I have to do to get through PCI? And we saw, you know, there's then there's still those organizations that are out there as opposed to the ones that are like, all right, we know we have to do this for PCI or whatever other, you know, banking regulation. Why don't we do it well? So that's, it's a feature rather than a cost when it comes down to it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm, yeah, for sure PCI uh, could, could have been a good driver for them. But I think in general, the AppSec market is, is I think Fortify is still doing well. Um, oh, yeah. Just a growing market and everybody's doing well in, in the AppSec market. It's just a, a market that is um, so booming and so growing that um, I think everybody is doing well in this particular market. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's multiple different drivers. I, I mean, it, that was one of the kind of the first regulations that came about that specifically yeah. addressed, like the OWASP top 10 and actually mentioned static analysis, right? When they were like, hey, you have to do some sort of static analysis or dynamic testing in order to accept credit cards. So. Yeah, and it's interesting where you think that that is proactive, but at the same time, no, that's not really proactive. That's very reactive what you're doing at that yeah. point in time. And I think 90% of that market, of the aspect market, is, is playing in that reactive space where we try to do the more proactive way and the proactive approach of, um, of trying to make a change in that market. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, I mean, yeah, we've been going for an hour, but you know, like, I, I, I feel like you're pushing the right direction, right? Like, you know, after Ken and I, had, you know, had that experience with it, you know, with building training and like giving in-person training, actual scalability, we're excited to see, you know, Products like Secure Code Warrior that are pushing that envelope, right? Yeah, than I know. Seth and I know how difficult it is. It yeah. really is, and and like how and and it and it's hard to build something that like that's the thing. Seth and I really do understand like how hard it is to build one of these things that like addresses all these needs. And uh, yeah, that's I mean that's why I chose the platform is because when I reviewed it, I was like, this is what I was trying to basically. I mean, this is what we were trying to basically get to. You know. Mm-hmm. One, one thing being I'll able get, to do that many challenges not so easy one thing I would like to add is we're really looking for people that want to help build our platform out um, so okay. so with, with the injection that we received we really want to you know we want to figure out like who to work with and and who can actually build this platform to to a top-notch platform with everything that we wish we could do to to help a developer in, in real time so building out these challenges um, it would be fantastic if people say, well, you know what? I really want to make a difference. I really want to, it's an interesting opportunity too. You know, if we have a hundred thousand people on our platform. So um, with writing a challenge, you can make an impact to and potentially a hundred thousand people. And, 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 you know, we're, we're five years old or we are just starting. So um, um, I really, really hope that we can find some talented people that can help us out and, and, and crack a couple of these nuts along the way a couple of these challenges and, and help us build that platform. Cool. On that note, one question uh, that we always ask at the end of the show, where mm-hmm. that's where we're at. Um, so anything you, anything, be, it sounds like you're mentioning, uh, you know, kind of the, the hiring aspect. Is there, so one thing is, is there anywhere you're going to be like re- soon that people can, you know, this year conference wise, or event-wise, the people can like meet you in person. And then the second part is: Is there anything else you want to leave? You know, parting thoughts uh, with um, where can people meet me? So um, I, I unfortunately will not be at the OWASP uh, uh, California thing uh, later this week, but I will be at RSA um, okay. and, and the things around RSA. I'm actually staying a little bit longer in the Bay Area. Um, so if people want to meet me at, at RSA or around RSA, happy to do so. Um, I'm actually quite often pretty much everywhere. So with, with our headquarters being in Sydney, I'm quite often in Sydney. With an office in Boston, I'm quite often in Boston. Um, with my, my my history of Fortify and a lot of friends in the Bay Area, I'm quite often in the Bay Area. And, and I'm based in Bruges, Belgium, with an office in London, which is just an hour and a half train ride 
So um, if people want to meet me, send me a, a message, and I'm pretty confident there's a time where we can meet up in person. Awesome. And I actually need to put your uh, Twitter handle out there to everyone, um, which I'll do here in a moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and then, um, yeah, anything else you want to leave people with um, before we hop off the, the podcast? Um, um, I think I think I want to reiterate that we're looking for like enthusiastic people across the globe, wherever you are. You know, we're we're no longer bound to a to a to a place these days. Um, remote working is is a thing. Um, it is challenging. Don't get me wrong. I've I've, I've I've done it for four or five years for four to five because in the middle of my journey I moved back to Belgium, so I know how challenging it is. Um, but but you know we're just looking for talented people in pretty much every. Uh, department that want to make a difference in this world and um, and do the proactive way and not the reactive way. By the way, I was out in Bruges uh, in I think what was it October, Seth? Early October. I, I think it's early yeah. October. That was a beautiful place. That was one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And this is totally unrelated to the podcast. I just wanted to mention that was seriously. It was it was gorgeous. It was an amazing place. That was not a business trip. No, no. Well, we did OWASP Amsterdam and then I took my family on a couple different day trips. That was one of them. And uh, we realized we needed more of, than a day there because it was, uh, the beer was amazing. The food was amazing. The people were amazing. The, the city was beautiful. It just, it was like fantastic. So next time around, you have to let me know. We'll go yeah, for sure. Some good everything. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It was yeah, it was well, and we there was well, I won't go to there was there were cool things. There was like a museum there that we had just like they had an Egyptian, uh, um, what I'm trying to say, Egypt, they had an Egyptian um portion added onto it that was temporary, um, and that was really cool to see. And it was just like we were very lucky because we didn't plan it that way, it just happened to be there, so it's pretty cool. Okay, anyways. Mm -hmm. Anyway, well, thank, thank you for you. your time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks sorry. for coming on. It's it's been a you know, yeah, it's been great to catch up and uh, to actually meet you semi face to face. Um, yep. I will be down at RSA, so let's make sure we we, we talk. I'll, I'll bring a t shirt and everything that for for you down there. So I'll um, bring one for you. Awesome, awesome. That'll be awesome. Um, Trading. Tra tra <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and I think that's everything for today. Uh, Ken, unless you've got anything else, we'll go ahead and call. Nope. Just thank you for your time, and thank you to the viewers for watching and tuning in. Thank you very much for the invite, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you. Matthias. See you next week.